Good morning, everyone. I am absolutely blessed uh, to be on your platform. I hope you can understand me. Uh, I, was, I get the opportunity of preaching across the world, and uh, I went to this one place who had an interpreter for me, and he come to get to know me, to speak to me, and he said, you're not English. <laughs> and I said, oh, I am English, <laughs> just a different kind of English. Um, his name was Moses. We went on a great journey together, actually. Um, I taught him some Geordie, um, which he'll probably never use again, uh, but that is the way it is. Um, when I came into this place today, I had a sense of, um, of the presence of God being here, um, a bit like a, a huge swimming pool. And it was a swimming pool of love. It was filled with love. And I don't know about you, uh, but when I'm, whenever I am, my family will tell you I'm absolutely terrible for getting into swimming pools or into the sea. You know those people who just jump in? I'm definitely not one of those. Um, the sea or the swimming pool has to be at near bath temperature for me to get in. Um, and uh, it, the, the, the hottest sea I found was in Dubai. Dubai was like, it was really like bath temperature. It was absolutely beautiful. They couldn't get me out of that one. Uh, but I got in really, really, uh, really, really quickly with that one. But normally it takes me about 10 or 15 minutes to get into a, a normal swimming pool because it's just, it's not pleasurable, is it? It's too cold. And, um, but they make me go in. And, uh, and I had a sense today that there was some of us in this room a bit like me, a bit reluctant maybe to get in. But actually, the truth is, once you're in, it's good, isn't it? That's what they always tell me sometimes to trick me in when it's really cold. They go, once you're in, it's great. That means it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> but here today, there's no coldness in the love that God has in this place. And I want you guys to feel relaxed, to feel chilled. I've lost the ambition to impress people. You'll be pleased to hear I don't impress people anymore. I just am who I am. And I give you freedom to disagree with me. Because you're powerful people. You don't have to agree with everything I say. But I want to just uh, mention um, a big thank you to Adam and to Fee and to Paul, who I'm going to meet later on today, um, for opening the platform up to me today. That's a big thing. And uh, I've got to know Adam more than Fee. Um, let me just tell you, I uh, get the opportunity of traveling the world, meeting lots of leaders from all kinds of ministries. You've got a good pastor. Pastors. I don't know Fee as well, but I know her heart. And you guys have got some good people. I don't know how often you do this, and I don't even know if you've ever done it. But I'm going to get these guys to stand to their feet, and I would like you to stand to your feet and give them an applause and a cheer. I don't do this. I've done it. That's my I've done this twice. But I had a sense today that we need to, um, you guys need to hear the applause of heaven over your lives. Because heaven celebrates you guys. It celebrates us all, by the way. So I'm not picking on leaders. But there's something in a leadership position that sometimes you just need to hear. Heaven rejoices over you. And actually, it's great that heaven does that. But sometimes we're supposed to do that for them as well. So I'm going to get you to stand. Stand to your feet. Face the people. And everybody else stand. And I'm going to, if you want to cheer, stamp your feet. You can, I don't, can you do that here? But I want you to hear. I, I you released me. It's your fault. 
So let's begin. Come on. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 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 Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Hear the applause of heaven over your lives. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Hear the applause of heaven over your lives. I've got feet crying already. Isn't that good? Wow. Wow. Well, I've only ever been thrown off one platform, so that's good news. Preached in lots of different places. I was actually preaching in... um... Please remember when I'm telling you stories, I've lost the ambition to impress you, but I'm just telling you stories, okay, um, I was preaching in Brazil, and um, had an interpreter, and uh, I was kind of halfway through my message, and the interpreter, one of the leaders got the interpreter's intention and began to speak the interpreter, and uh, the interpreter came across and stopped me, and he said, um, they're going to throw you off the stage, and I went, what? And... Um, it was weird. But two of the leaders came up. And have you ever seen those concerts where they do the stage diving thing? Well, they literally threw me off the stage into the crowd. Um, this was a, a, a church that used to be a nightclub. And um, the nightclub closed because there was about 30 deaths in one year in it. Um, of, of people murdered. Um, and this church took it over. And it was full of ex-drug dealers and prostitutes and but people who'd got radically saved. They were absolutely, I don't think I've been to a place where the intensity and the hunger in the people was incredible, absolutely incredible. And you know what? I believe God responds to hunger. I do. I believe he responds to hunger. And uh, the reason they threw me into the, 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 the crowd was because they knew I wouldn't be able to get around and pray with everybody, and the crowd wanted to be able to touch me. Weird, in it? It's weird. But they wanted the anointing. They wanted what was going on. Um, so that's my story of being thrown off a stage. Never mind. I hope I'm not thrown off anymore. This one's definitely too small to be doing any stage diving, so we're not going to do that. Okay, I want to just share a brief word with you this morning. And um, if you've got a Bible and you want to look at it, you can. It's taken from Second Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read six verses. 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 to 7. And it says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So it might be slightly different to yours, but means the same thing. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah. And she cried out. My husband who served you is dead. And you know that he feared the Lord. But now his creditors have has come, threatening to take my two sons. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in your house? 
Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elijah said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into the house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour the olive oil from the flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after the other. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell all the olive oil and pay off your debt, and you and your sons can live on what is left. I want to share something with you today about the process of moving from deficit to abundance. Because there's a process. And I want to say to you that if you're in deficit today, that's when you've got more going out than you've got coming in. If you've got ears to hear today, switch on your spiritual ears. You know, there's a reality that's greater than the reality you're sitting in right now. And, and what I'm going to share with you, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit's going to drop some stuff into you. Because the only way that this is going to affect your life is if Holy Spirit speaks it to you. This is about what you receive from that unseen realm. That spiritual realm that's active in this room today. So deficit is when you've got more going out than what's coming in. And I'll just tell you this very briefly. That living a victorious lifestyle does not mean the absence of trouble. (laughs) We can be poor or in deficit in lots of areas of our life. In this case, we're talking about financial. We use a word up at the Northeast called skint. You use that here? You're skint. So we can be skint emotionally. We can be skint relationally. You can have lots of responsibility and a good job, but be very lonely and have no joy. But we generally relate poverty or, or or deficit to financial or the poor. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I've been emotionally drained and in deficit. So just to put this passage into context, here Elisha, he just finished speaking to three kings who he used his governmental influence and authority over the nations. And then he's going on to see a very wealthy a woman after this, which is probably a big contributor to the kingdom of God. And in the middle of that is this widow woman. In the middle of that is this story here. So why do bad things happen to good people? You ever asked that question? Oh, it's got to be more than just me, I'm sure. <laughs> why do people, why, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, being, um, 
in the role I am in seeing lots of different people, I get to see lots of people, different people who bad things happen to. And they're good people. And I want to dispel a myth this morning. I'm sure this isn't a place where this is active, but I want to tell you it's not because they're sinners. It's not because God disapproves of them or in some way, in some weird, twisted way that God is punishing them. See, the God I know is not that God. And I'm sure the God you know is not that God. He doesn't make people sick. Sickness is not part of the kingdom of God. But we understand people get sick. Her husband had died. Her children were about to be taken away from her. She was in a desperate situation. Yet, her husband was a God-fearing man. Actually, him and the family were God-fearing people. And he was one of the house of prophets. This was a a guy who was all in for God. This was a family who were all in for God. Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I just say this? If you... It's all right to have scars... It's not all right to have wounds because God wants to heal your wounds. Well, there's a process between getting your wounds healed to it becoming a scar. So I've got a couple of scars. One, I'll not show you my scars, but I've got a couple of physical scars. I've got lots of spiritual scars, but I've got a couple of physical scars. And the thing is with a scar, if it's healed, it shouldn't hurt. But what the scar reminds me of every time I get in the bath, it reminds me of a battle that I went through. Even the best fighters have scars. I'm not going to suggest you celebrate your scar, but I am going to suggest it should bring thankfulness that God got you to this point despite the scar. And can I just say as well, if, you, if you're going to prophesy into someone's life, I don't know about Adam, he probably has had hundreds and hundreds of prophecies like I have. But I think things are changing with the prophets. And I think now there's a bigger call on prophets to have a relationship with the people that they're speaking into. Gone, hopefully, are the days when prophets come and prophesy over your life and leave. Because prophecy is weighty. If it's of God, it's weighty. And I've had that many, many times where they've prophesied and have gone and they've left you with this weighty thing. And as you're struggling through it, you're going, where's that prophet? But this prophet in this story was not one of those prophets. (laughs) I'm pleased to say it was not one of those prophets. Maybe she was expecting this prophet getting his checkbook out. Maybe. Instead, the prophet, the man of God, he asked a question. What do you have? We all have something to begin the process of recovery. People need to own and invest in their own recovery. 
What do you have? I have prayed for people. I've seen people healed. I've seen people delivered. I've seen blind. I've seen all of those things. And I'm not suggesting we don't do that. But here in this story here, there's a challenge to us. He asks the woman, what do you have? And her reply was this, nothing. Except. (laughs) She didn't even class it as something. She said, I've got nothing except. Except a jar of oil. However bad things might get. However difficult the situation might be. Can I suggest to you, you've always got something to offer towards your recovery. Always. Elijah tells her to go and ask her neighbors for jaws. She must have, I don't know about you, but I would have. I would have thought, what's this man on? Did he not understand my situation? I haven't got anything. And he's asking me to go and ask my neighbors for empty jaws. What's empty jaws going to do to my debt solution? See, she was thinking, I don't need something to put nothing in. I don't need something to put nothing. I haven't got anything. It's interesting that God, I believe even today, is looking for empty vessels. I might get into that a bit later on. But God's looking for empty vessels. You see, when God created the world, it was without form. It was empty. He formed it and he filled it. Come on. He formed it and he filled it. See, God knew you before the creation of the world. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed you to fill you. (laughs) (laughs) the prophet asked what do you have in your home it always starts at home a real move in your life a real process starts at home or you might get support at church you might get hands laid on things might be well but I can tell you it always starts at home And COVID has taught us that, hasn't it? I was speaking to a pastor last week and he said to me, Alan, I think I've converted people to church more than I have to Jesus because when COVID hit, they couldn't cope. Listen, I love church and we should come together. But your faith in in Jesus starts at home. It's the reality. COVID has taught us that reality. At least I hope it has. What do you have in your house? We quite often will focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. It's easy when you're living in deficit to overlook the little that God has, has, that that you have, that God wants to multiply. (laughs) She lost her husband. She potentially was going to lose her kids. Everything was gone but a little bit of oil. You could see how she could lose hope. So God can do a miracle and will do a miracle if we offer the little that we have. That little, small, insignificant thing that you've got tucked away that you're not even worth mentioning. Not even worth mentioning. 
Sometimes when we get ourselves into that place where God is dealing with us through that process of deficit, we'll quite often go down the route of comparison, don't we? Well, they're doing all right. They never get any problems. And we begin to compare ourselves with others. It's a very dangerous place to go. See, God is never going to hold you accountable for somebody else's life. (laughs) Your gifts and your talents that God has given you, the Bible says, are irrevocable. If you've got nothing else, if you're really struggling to find what can I give him in this place, give him your praise. Praise is a powerful thing. When you are empty, when the last thing you have to do is drag yourself through this door or drag yourself into that place of worship and praise, it is a powerful thing that the enemy wants to stop in that time. Because how well you will be will be determined by how how well you process the deficit. (laughs) Your long-term future is in how you process the deficit. Sometimes we need others around us to help us see more clearly the blessing that's coming our way. We all play a part. It's important that you remember that. And important you remember, as I said, in Romans eleven twenty nine, the for, for God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. You see, the only way that the enemy can stop you fulfilling what God has put in your life is to get you to believe that it's not real. Me. God wants to use me. God wants to shape and change my life. Well, yeah, can I can tell you, there's no difference between you sitting down there and me standing on a platform. Other than I'm the one who's speaking. <laughs> but you, you carry the same Holy Spirit as I carry. You have the same level of authority and power. Do you know creation is waiting for you to rise up yeah. and take your place? Yeah. It's not waiting of me. It's waiting of us. Yeah. It's not waiting of a leader. It's waiting of us the sons and daughters of God, to rise up and take their place. It says creation groans for it. See, creation knows when the order gets set. Let's not go down. So this story, remember, it ends with a house full of oil. (laughs) But what was required was for her to begin to pour out the little she had to see the increase. Come on. What was required was for her to begin to pour out the little insignificant nothing that she had to see the increase that brought her abundance. remember when when Jesus was out and 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 he had all these thousands of people and the disciples came to him and he said well they said let's send them home because they're going to be hungry soon and we we kind of feed this lot that's the Geordie version but right. and Jesus said tell them to sit down 
<laughs> just love Jesus. I just love what he does. We can't do this. We haven't got money. We haven't got food. Tell them to sit down. Oh, there are times, just like Adam was saying earlier, we need to just sit down. Don't we? Stop running around. Just, sit, just tell them to sit down. And then he said, ask if somebody has anything to eat. And we know the story, don't we? The loaves and the fishes from the boy. And from that, there was leftovers. Thousands and thousands of people got fed. But the little that the lad had to give was multiplied. Wow. I'm going to finish soon, but listen, let me tell you this. The oil only flows when it's being poured out. You can pray over it. You can dance over it. You can sing over it. You can do anything you like. But it actually only began to multiply when it was poured. I'm willing to give this. Now pour it. It's not a pledge. It's an action. The enemy will always try to get you to stop pouring in a time of deficit. And we get disappointed. Hear me, I've been there. I know disappointment. We get heartbroken. I know I've had my heart broken. (laughs) We get rejection. Boy, do we get rejection. But listen, when you're working from a place of identity, not for your place of identity, (laughs) you recognize that some of this thing, although it stings, is not the long-term aim. Let me say it again. You, you have to work from your identity. You have to find your identity first. And then you work from that. And I meet lots of Christians who are working for their identity. I must do this for God. God needs my help. <laughs> God doesn't need your help. Not in that way. It's important we get our identity sorted out. So disappointment, heartbreak, rejection. Can't see the way ahead. Keep pouring out whatever God has shown you that you have left. When you stop pouring, it stops flowing. That was the story, wasn't it? She said to her son, bring me another jar. Said, when God he left. At that moment, at that moment, it stopped flowing. Bitterness will keep you from pouring out. (laughs) Do we all get bitter sometimes? And unforgiveness is a biggie. Self-pity will stop you in your tracks. Why me? I've asked that to God a few times, actually. But you see, (laughs) there's there's a real danger that you end up living a life with a victim spirit rather than a victorious spirit. And the difference between the two is how we process deficit. God does not want you to live a victim lifestyle. You're not a victim, you're victorious. And he can make a way through that for you. 
but self-pity will stop you in your tracks. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. (laughs) The community around you will play a part in your miracle. We need each other. We need community. We're meant to live in community. We're not meant to do it on our own. And here the woman was asked, wasn't she? Go into the community. Tell your sons to go into the community. Can you just imagine for one moment the community around her probably, you know, hiding behind the curtains, twitching, saying it's them boys again. They've come to borrow more stuff and, 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 and they're knocking on the door and they say, can I have an empty jar? But actually, the community played a part in the miracle. It's all right to tell people you're in need. But when we get this independent spirit, (laughs) when church starts to tell you it's shameful to start saying some of those things, and we live out of a place of shame rather than open and honest transparency, Church should be the place where you can come and go, hey, I'm in deficit. I need a bit of help. It might not be that Adam and Faye would get their checkbooks out, but they'll give you some good advice. (laughs) They'll give you some good advice. Let me come into land. One more thing, again, really important in this story here. She shut the door. She went in and she shut the door. And my experience is this. You have to invest in the place of intimacy. You have to invest in the place of intimacy. We can pray more, more, more God. I want more, I want more God. Please God, more. And God is shouting back at you, pour, pour, pour what you have. Because he's waiting for a response from us. God can't already fill. God can't fill what is already full. So we have to constantly ask ourselves the question, what's filling my life? (laughs) And get rid of anything that's not of the kingdom. Pride, disappointment, unforgiveness, selfish ambition. You see, if you're full of that stuff, God can't pour in his oil of the kingdom. You can only be full of so much. So we need to ask ourselves a question, what am, I, what am I holding? You know, when so-and-so said that thing to me 40 years ago, you know, that really hurt me. See, that's taken space up. God wants to heal you of that. And you know how you're healed of that? When you see the person, there's no reaction. <laughs> because forgiveness is a choice that brings you into freedom. Wow. But we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. We're just clay pots. Have you heard that? Actually, we're all... I'll see it. We're all crack pots. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I've had a few cracks in my life. 
But you know what? Even in the cracks, even in the deficit, God has poured out through my life still. And actually, there's nothing wrong with being a crackpot. It's just being honest where we're at with God. So he moved this lady from a place. The man of God, the prophet, was really good. He didn't fix it for her. He let her see that her faith in God can produce. What do you have? There's a bit in there actually said, she did as she was told. We don't like that, do we? We'll miss that bit out. (laughs) But actually, she could have missed her miracle. But she did as she was told. And her miracle came. And, And not just that, there was enough there to pay off her debt. I'll not go into this today, but I, can I just tell you, when we enter into financial agreements with other people, we enter into covenantal agreement. I'll not go there today. But the man of God said to her, pay off your debt. Pay it off. Then live on the rest. And it's important that as we move from that place of deficit to abundance... We remember that God has blessed us to bless others. That's the whole idea. The the kingdom of God will be extended by the blessing of God on your life. And as you bless others, more will come because that's the way it works. It's a weird economy, but that's the way it works. I could tell you story after story of thousands and even millions of pounds that have come through my hands. Because I chose to pour the little I had. It's always about you and you being behind that closed door. Your place of intimacy. Your obedience to the Lord. And a recognition that we need others around us. I hope some of that makes sense today. I would have loved to tell you more stories. and, But I hope some of it makes sense to you. You know, the Bible is absolutely full of crazy stuff. People say that Bible believing Christians. Well, I know some Christians and I know some Bible believing Christians and they're two different things. Because sometimes as Christians, we believe what tickles our ears or we believe what fits our theology. Am I getting a bit too close to the knuckle? Just even to look at the Bible and do what the Bible says is, is enough. But even within that, do you know we've got a, I love some of the Old Testament stories. Can you remember the story of the, of the, of the, in the Old Testament of the prophet and some youths came out and called him Baldy? And he called on the Lord and the bears came out, got the youth. I always remember that story. It's very handy if you're follically challenged like me. Um, just remember it, you know, you've got the right to call out the bears if somebody's calling you bald. And of course, in the Old Testament, we've got Shrek, a talking donkey. <laughs> have we not got a talking donkey? We've got a talking donkey. It's weird. Have you ever paid your taxes by going fishing? It's what Jesus told his disciples. Go fishing. We'll get the tax money. When you catch that fish, it's in its mouth. You know, there are many, many things that Bible-believing Christians shove to one side because they're just not willing to believe for the impossible. I know this isn't that place. 
I want to encourage you to believe for the impossible. Absolutely believe for the impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. There's a couple of young Christians, and they said, we're going to give a go to walk on water. I said, bless you. I didn't say they were crazy. I thought they were crazy. But I didn't say they were crazy. Why? Because there's a measure where they were going, why can't we walk on water? Peter did. Peter did. Why can't I? They haven't managed it yet. But... Anyway, I'm going to hand back over to Adam. And um, can I pray just before I do that? I'm not a big platform guy and big leader thing, so don't take this the right way. But if you feel today that you're in deficit in any area, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I have to get you to stand, unfortunately. It's the way it is. If there's an area of your life that you feel you're in deficit for, now I'm not going to fix this for you. You've heard the keys to this. So you might have to go home. You might have to shut the door. You might have to ask a neighbor. But God wants to take you from deficit to abundance. So all you have to do is believe. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for this house, this swimming pool of love that is right here today. I thank you that in this atmosphere of love, you can come and meet those people here today who feel there's an area of deficit in their lives. God, I speak into their lives right now any areas of pride or unforgiveness or selfish ambition, I call you out and I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Just go right now. Just let it go. Just let it go. We give it to you, God. We ask this question, God, what do you give us in return? So thank you, Father God, that right now your people are being set free. <laughs> that as they've acknowledged before this community and before themselves and before you, that there is an area of deficit in their life, you're going to come and meet that area. Because you, God, are very good at your job. <laughs> so I speak freedom and release over this house. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.